0: Once we did encounter some challenges because we were part of your network and because I have an investment counselor I always felt like I had somewhere to go for an answer Um, I always felt like
1: I had somebody with more experience than me that I could lean on and if Sarah didn't know the answer She got the answer
2: tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors.
1: Greetings from the Big Apple, New York City, and welcome to episode 1289. Adam is here with me today and we want to talk to you about recession and gross domestic product, otherwise known as GDP. You hear a lot about these things, and uh, we're gonna take a little dive into an economics lesson today, and what it means to you as a real estate investor, and if you're a non-real estate investor, and you're obviously here because you're thinking about becoming one, well, what does this mean to you, right? What does it mean, and does this relate to us as real estate investors. Well, of course it does. It relates to us in a very, very big way. And uh, we'll see how that impacts on us. Adam, welcome back.
0: Thanks for having me. GDP, three little letters that make a big difference.
1: So I got to tell you what I did. I got up very early this morning, which isn't unusual. I I always get up early. I'm I'm an early riser, early to bed, early to rise. Yeah, you sent me a
0: box at like Two o'clock my time, that was
1: ridiculous. Well, two o'clock in the morning, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's only because it said the time that you sent it to me was like 2.30, <laughs> and I replied it like 2.52 a.m. Yeah. Oh, God. So, Mine was delayed.
0: I, People, I was not awake at that time.
1: <laughs> well, look, the point is, that old saying, early to bed, early to rise, makes all of you listening... Healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's a good thing. I'm I'm definitely I definitely like being an early bird. I've at times in my life when I was younger I was a night owl, but definitely like being an early bird. It's just better. You know, one of the things we want to do for our overall health and wellness and the feeling of having more time to accomplish our goals is to be in sync with nature as much as possible and in being in sync with nature is is being in sync with our circadian rhythm and when the sun goes down we want to be sleeping a few hours after that think of if we were primitive people living in caves we would not be awake at night. Most of the times when it's dark, we'd be awake in the day. And uh, other than general self-protection and maybe having one one person in our tribe on watch or a couple people on watch for predators, you want to be sleeping when it's dark and awake when it's light. So it's sort of like living on the farm. When the rooster crows, you want to be up. Then your body is in harmony with nature. But Adam, I got to tell you something. Enough about that. So I did something interesting today. After I landed at the airport here in New York City, I decided, well, I used an app called Rome to Rio, which is a cool app, by the way, listeners. Uh, I've been to 83 countries, some of those many, many times. So, you know, in terms of overall trips, I don't know, you know hundreds probably, a friend of mine told me about this app a couple of years ago when we were in Eastern Europe, said you ought to check out Rome to Rio, and it's an app that just tells you about the best transportation methods, and I wanted to just experiment a little bit. Usually in the States, I just take uh, a ride-sharing ride everywhere, but I decided to take public transportation like a commoner. <laughs> I just wanted to sort of, you know, experience it a little bit, right, and and see how rundown and old New York City subways are. So I took the bus from the airport to the train station and got in a really interesting chat with this bus driver. We were just gabbing away, he and I, he was telling me that uh, he's making good money for this job. He's been doing it a long time. He grew up here. He was talking about how the neighborhoods have changed and, uh, you know, how I think it was his grandmother, maybe, forgive me if I get that wrong, who uh, bought a house in Queens years ago for like $6,000 and sold it many years later for like million, you know, decades and decades later, of course, right? That wasn't just due to real estate appreciation. It was due to gentrification and massive changes in New York City. A lot of it would be to the credit of Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor, who, by the way, is now Trump's attorney, interestingly, And he talked on and on about that and kept going on and on about how you can't afford anything here, how many of his bus driver friends have retired and left New York City, and they've moved to places like Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and they're buying mansions there. (laughs) versus the little two-bedroom flat that they had in New York City, you know, after uh, becoming 60 years old or so. They're just getting out of this crazy market. We talked about how everybody was leaving California. Everybody's leaving New York. All the New Yorkers are moving to Florida. All the Californians are moving to, you know, Arizona, Texas, Nevada. So it was just an interesting conversation. But the moral of the story is that the expensive cost of living and the high tax burden of any place does not really relate much to the quality of life. Thoughts on that?
0: Oh, based on what I saw in New York, I would agree.
1: And you know, that is unfair. That's a ripoff. Because you'd think if you pay a lot to live somewhere, you should be, you know, getting something for it, right? You'd get a better place to live. There's just this huge disconnect between the cost of living and the quality of life. In fact, it's really reverse of that many times. And one of the things I said is, yeah, but you know, in a place like New York City, if you're hiring for a business, you can get really smart people. And he said, that was true. And this guy was a, he was a smart bus driver. He was no dummy, this guy. He was, I mean, I get that he works for the MTA and stuff and you wouldn't necessarily think this guy's gonna be, you know, some brilliant guy, but he really, was very informed and he says his friends and the people he knows that owns businesses it's just not true anymore it used to be that you'd get these really bright people applying for jobs here but they're leaving you know and so you see this brain drain moving out of these high cost of living places because they're getting smart too and, all, you know, I, we talked about how all the Wall Street zillionaires are moving. They they live in Florida, technically, right?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it is it's not necessarily a brain drain. It's that the brains don't have to go there anymore mm-hmm. you know, because of all the technology. Why would you move a, right. you know, a trading company to New York whenever you could run it from anywhere? Why right. would you move there? I mean, unless you're trying to become like a Broadway star or something, something like that, you don't have to move your brain to those places anymore.
1: Yeah, you can teleport your brain, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that reminds me of a really interesting thing. I remember back in the 80s, a big book that was quite well-known, best-selling book and book series really was Megatrends by John Nesbitt. And I always enjoyed reading futurists. And I still love futurists, right? And Alvin Toffler is another one, John Nesbitt back in the day. And I remember reading, I used to subscribe to John Nesbitt's really expensive newsletter. Well, I thought it was expensive back then. It was like $400 a year. I remember him talking about, and he wrote the book Megatrends and Megatrends 2000 and all these different futurist books. And he talked about how you could now live In what he called a quality of life area or city or town because there was this great new technology and guess what it was he personally moved out of the big city I can't remember which big city he was from but he spent most of his career in, in the big city the urban area whatever it was I forgive me I don't remember which one and he moved to Telluride Colorado right a beautiful Sort of ski resort town, expensive, beautiful ski resort town. And he said he was able to do that because of this big technology. You all sitting down? You ready? Federal Express. (laughs) Game changer. That was was the big game changer. Yeah. He said, with Federal Express, I can live anywhere. (laughs) Oh boy. I'm dating myself, right? (laughs) Yes, I've definitely been around a while, folks. Well, hey, before we get to our GDP and recession discussion and how it impacts real estate investors, some other good news. We just got it yesterday. The, I will say, crooked, I think he's crooked, CEO of WeWork has stepped down. Yay! you know, I didn't share this a long time ago on the podcast, but Adam, you saw me post this in our Venture Alliance uh, content group, our private group. I posted a couple articles about how he was running this scam where he would lease office space. It really looked like a scam. Now, again, it's an alleged scam. Okay. I have to say that because he's not been convicted, but it's just my opinion that it's a scam and The Wall Street Journal seemed to think so too. He was basically either leasing or buying properties, he was doing both, depending on the deal, and then subleasing them to WeWork and making out like abandoned, and he wasn't disclosing that. Can you imagine the kind of sham and trickery? The reason I posted that article in our content group was because it harkens back to commandment number three, thou shalt maintain control. And what does that mean for WeWork investors, the venture capitalists, the angel investors? Now they haven't done their IPO yet, but they will. And then it'll to the stock investors in the public market, right? The economy has been on a tear. It's been booming under Trump. Love them or hate him. Trump has been phenomenal for the economy. Just phenomenal, okay? I mean, unemployment is literally at a 50-year low. It's crazy. Certainly there are signs of problems and recessions, and no question about it, but <laughs> this economy has lasted a lot longer since Trump got elected. It's not a political thing, it's just a fact, okay? But here's the thing. You stock market investors, you, you think, well, well, Jason, you're always bashing Wall Street in the stock market, but it's been doing really well lately. And I agree with you, everything's been doing well lately. The whole economy has been on a, a tear. I mean, real estate has been incredible lately. No question about it, incredible. But the question is, compared to what? You know, commandment number three still applies because you're not in control. And imagine how good it is for the insiders All the profits, all the cream, they are skimming off the top. Imagine what your returns would be as investors in stocks and mutual funds if the insiders weren't there taking all the profits off the top. The world may never know. As the old commercial said, the world may never know, right? How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll, Tootsie Pop? That's the commercial for you older folks. And the answer was, the world may never know. Because we don't know how much they're skimming off the top, right? They're just given a good return to investors, but it could be phenomenal if they weren't there. Okay, you ready to dive into this GDP discussion?
0: Let's dive.
1: And this is another great CNBC Explains video from their YouTube channel, check it out on YouTube. I'm going to play this because it offers some good basics for our discussion today. So this starts out with the reporter in London buying a cup of coffee and using that as an example for GDP.
2: How do you measure the size of an entire economy? Let's say I buy a coffee here in London for three pounds. Those three pounds are factored into the United Kingdom's GDP. And so is this barista's salary and this espresso machine. In fact, most of what's around you is part of GDP.
1: What is GDP? GDP
2: is an important gauge of the overall health of an economy. It stands for gross domestic product. Simply put, GDP measures the total value of all goods and services in a country. That means it measures a lot of stuff worth a lot of money. Here in the UK, GDP is around two and a half trillion dollars per year. In the United States, the world's biggest economy, it's around 19 trillion dollars every year. How do you get to these numbers? Well, you can calculate GDP in a few different ways, but the most commonly used equation goes like this. Consumption plus investment plus government spending plus net exports equals GDP. Let's break that down. Consumption is another way of saying consumer spending. It's the money you or I spend on physical goods like coffee and on services like a haircut. In many developed economies like the UK or the US, consumer spending makes up more than half of a country's GDP. The second part of the GDP equation is investment. This measures how much businesses spend on things like buildings, land and equipment. It also includes a major consumer investment, buying a home. Investment can take a hit when the economy is suffering. You can see in this chart, domestic business investment plummeted in the U.S. during the financial crisis. That's because companies were trying to save money instead of putting it towards things like factories, machinery, and equipment. Okay, now we get to government spending. This is the money local, state, and national governments spend on things like roads, schools, and defense. Government spending varies a lot depending on each country's approach to public goods and services. Take, for example, France, where government spending amounts to roughly 56 percent of GDP. Oh, That's compared to 41 percent in the UK and 38 percent in the US.
1: So the bigger the government spending component, the worse the economy. Isn't that interesting? Imagine that. Adam, you'll probably disagree.
0: I do disagree, but oh, yes. <laughs> come on!
1: So you think that France, with half its GDP being propelled by the government, and the UK with 41 percent being propelled by the government, and the U.S. with a still way too high a number, but at least it's lower, you think that the government should hog that much of the economy rather than the private sector? Really, come on,
0: socialist! I- <laughs> <laughs> it's not socialist. I don't believe the government should control the means of production. What I think is due to the fact that we still have unemployment, I know you're going to say it's the lowest it's been in a really long time, but due to the fact that we still have employment, unemployment, due to the fact that we still are not up to our you know, 100% capacity, I think the government could spend more and we would still be fine and still not see much inflation. I do no, believe folks. that.
1: Member Adam is a fan of MMT, Modern Monetary Theory, which is a pipe dream. But we're, we're going to talk about that some more. Make sure you listen to that interview with Mike Norman, folks. That was a and Randy Ray. A, and Randy Ray, yeah, those uh, the Mike Norman one especially was pretty heated. He hung up on me. <laughs> it's only happened one other time in uh, the last fifteen years. But yeah, very interesting. Adam, though, wouldn't you concede that? when you have unemployment at say 3% wouldn't you just call that full employment i mean some people just don't want to work
0: okay going back to real quick mmt thing mmt the main proponent is a jobs guarantee and what that is is people who are currently unemployed can go to the federal government or go to their state government or local government and get a job. And the federal government will pay their their wage. And that's gonna be pretty much your, your federal minimum wage. And so all you have to do as a company to hire more workers is to pay the minimum wage or better and you'll get the person. And that way you get rid of unemployment and people who just don't want to work, fine, but you're not getting any money. So you eliminate all of your unemployment benefits and it just goes to a job Okay, merit. so is that
1: different from universal basic income?
0: Yes, it absolutely is. Because okay. you have to work. Now, now... Universal basic right. income is a joke. It should never oh, be done. Oh,
1: I'm surprised you say that.
0: Because that's literally something for nothing.
1: Right, right. But, um... There's are some people making kind of a decent case for that. Of course, I had a presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, on the show somewhat recently. And I think we re-ran that interview uh, right around the first set of democratic debates when he was up there on stage. We've had many presidential candidates on the show before, folks. and And yeah, he's a big proponent of that. It's interesting as we look at the future of automation, but that's a huge tangent in and of itself. So we won't go there. But here's what's you know, when we talk about GDP and we talk about the current account balance or really trade, international trade, and, you know, they would say that the U.S. has a current account deficit because we import more than we export. And this is, of course, a very long topic in and of itself. But just remember how this impacts housing, okay? As real estate investors, look at all of this stuff in the properties we own that is imported. All those doorknobs, those hinges, that drywall, a lot of it, you know, a lot of the lumber. All the natural talk. resources
0: we can, we don't have at yeah. the ready here in the United States.
1: Right, you know, the, the the cabinets, the faucets. I mean, there's just so many things. It's incredible. And so we've done an episode on this before as we looked at the trade war and how that would impact construction cost. So there's some pretty significant Im- impact issues here yeah i don't think we have time to talk about the trade stuff today but what we really want to do is tie in the gdp discussion with the recession discussion so let's keep going adam because we're going to we're going to run out of time here okay here we go
2: That brings us to the final part of the GDP calculation, net exports, or exports minus imports. A lot of countries have negative net exports, meaning they bring in more products than they send out. For example, the UK imports around $1 billion worth of coffee every year, but only exports around 315 million, meaning its net exports of coffee are negative. Countries around the world collect data on consumption, investment, government spending, and net exports. This makes GDP a universal measurement and a way for countries to stack up against one another but it's not just the sum of the equation people look at you'll often hear about the gdp growth rate or the percentage change in gdp over time generally if an economy is healthy gdp growth expands if an economy is in bad shape gdp growth contracts two consecutive quarters of negative gdp growth are referred to as a recession
1: there you go so that's important Now, keep in mind, this relates back to the Phillips curve, which is inflation and employment, how they look at that. And it also relates back to the size of the population and the inflation rate and the GDP. So a lot of uh, economists would say, if the population is stable, it's not growing or shrinking, but inflation is, you know, let's say the official rate of inflation is, just for example, for round numbers, 5%, and the GDP is only 3% of any given country, then you got a problem, okay? That's bad, right? So you want these numbers to kind of track each other. And also, uh, when I was in India uh, several years ago, I remember, reading a lot of the newspapers there, and they were talking about the Indian economy. Right on that trip, I was listening to an audiobook called The Elephant and the Dragon. I can't remember the name of the author, and that may not be the exact title, but you get the idea, you know. The dragon is China, the elephant is India, and um, they were talking about these two economies and of course the interplay with the US and Europe and the rest of the world and the way the supply chains work, and what's interesting. Is that you know you look at countries like India and China, and they've shown really high GDP rates, you know, of maybe eight uh, percent. Don't quote me on that, but somewhere around there. Uh, and uh, at times, and you know, that's not that big a deal. They need those kind of growth rates with the sort of population they have and trying to lift those huge numbers of people out of poverty. I mean, those countries need to have just massive growth. The U.S., if it has a, a GDP of 3 or 4%, we think we're doing pretty good, right? But it's a mature economy. And just like a mature industry or a mature business, you're never going to see those kind of huge growth rates, right? In a startup uh, business, you can see big, giant growth rates. Because when you have zero market share or you have you know 1% market share, doubling it to 2 is not that difficult but when your market shares 50 percent <laughs> doubling it to 100 is extremely difficult so the same for a company in a country it's the same thing adam
0: so first off i'll tell people the book is by robin meredith it's the elephant and the dragon the rise of india and china and what it means for all of us thank you for looking that up yeah good job good
1: job if
0: if we saw the united states growth rate at six to ten percent i would say we would need to check our numbers because like you said it's just our economy is so huge and we're using up so much of our you know our people and our production that it would be sketchy to say the least. The numbers
1: are all sketchy. We just have to assume that all of the numbers from all countries are all rigged, but at least they're all a rigged benchmark because they still relate to each other as a benchmark. So let's finish up this one and then let's go to the next part and talk about recession.
2: But GDP doesn't always give a full picture of the economy. Critics say the equation puts too much weight on production and manufacturing, and not enough on services and the digital economy. Just think of Spotify. For $10 a month, you can listen to unlimited music from a huge range of artists. In the past, you'd have had to buy all of those albums separately, with each one contributing to GDP. It's hard to factor a digital service like Spotify into the GDP equation.
1: Is that a product placement? You know, that's like, that's an ad. <laughs> How much did Spotify pay for that? Why, why didn't they say, just consider JasonHartman.com, where people can buy income property and uh, they can invest nationwide. I mean, it, um, is, a good,
0: it is a good example, though. <laughs> could have though. Used that <laughs> yeah, It is a good example, though, the fact that we haven't changed the equation for GDP True. forever, right. and the economy itself has changed drastically since then. And so, you know, why aren't we looking at a new way of uh, calculating it?
1: No question about it. You know, technology changes everything all the time. And um, this is hedonically adjusted in the inflation mix, but uh, not in the GDP mix. So that's a a very good point. Which
2: is used to measuring physical goods. GDP also doesn't measure economic equality and well-being. So even if a country is really rich, according to GDP, wealth may be spread unevenly. Plus, GDP excludes unpaid work, like volunteering for charity or childcare, And it doesn't factor in costs like pollution or illegal activity. Some experts have come up with alternative measures to GDP that measure overall happiness and quality of life. But so far, none of these have stuck. Maybe it's just too hard to put an economic value on that first sip of Morning Joe. <laughs>
0: I do think one of the things she said is very important in the fact that about the income distribution, and it's important whenever you're looking at the GDP of the United States to remember or to think about the fact that as GDP grows or shrinks, you need to couple that with something like wage growth, because you have a whole lot of money coming in to the, as they say, as the Democrats say, the 1%. And you can say whether or not that's a good thing, but the fact is the 1% do get a big You know growth in income and so if the gdp is going up but wages are stagnant or declining that's not going to be as good for the country on a whole as if the gdp is going up and you see wages rising with it
1: fair statement uh no question about it that income distribution issue is a very big one especially nowadays where uh, the rich are getting so much richer but also it's fair to argue how that has all changed because of technology, too. I mean, I could have never really imagined a day back in, say, the 90s when 12-year-old kids would be walking around with $1,200 phones in their back pocket. And that's now a necessity. (laughs) So even poor people have all of these tools.
0: Oh, I agree. I'm just saying that if you're looking at, if you're trying to gauge kind of how the middle class and the lower and, you know, the bread and butter renters that we have and see, you know, how they can fare with a rent increase, say. And you look at the fact if you say, oh, well, the economy is growing at 3%, so I can go up 3%. Well, maybe, maybe they'll be able to afford that. But if the economy is, you know, going up 3%, but their wages are staying the same, then that wealth is most likely going solely to the the rich and not coming down and being met by the middle class so you you want to kind of look at both things in order to figure out what our demographic can afford
1: there's no question about that and it reminds me of one of the recent episodes on our alexa if you haven't uh added the uh jason hartman real estate update alexa skill to your news briefing and your news flash that you know, I mostly listen to it in the morning, but any time of day. And one of the recent um, little mini episodes was about the average pricing. And this is so true when they talk about the housing market and what the median price is, or the average price is nationwide. It's like saying, well, what's the average temperature in Miami and uh, Anchorage, Alaska? Okay, it averages out at 45 degrees, but that means nothing. It's meaningless. You know, that number doesn't mean anything. If you look at 400 real estate markets around the country that are distinct, and so that's been the problem all along. You've got to be hyper-localized. That really is analogous to the GDP thing that you're pointing out, because it's local to the income of each household or each person. It's a per capita number and it's unevenly distributed just like real estate prices and the temperature in Anchorage, Alaska versus Miami, Florida. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. so, And people, yeah. you can tell that Jason's really on the road because he just straight up said Alexa and nothing came on in the background.
1: That's true. Yes, I did. I did. And I, I felt like I could say it so freely because uh, Jeff Bezos' cronies weren't eavesdropping on my conversation. But right now, um, Tim Cook's cronies are eavesdropping. <laughs> so, and the NSA is, too. You know, nobody's talking about the NSA process privacy invasion anymore are they have we just all forgotten about that
0: we've all just accepted it i think yeah
1: it's just life it's just life okay adam not tomorrow's episode and not because it's a 10th episode tomorrow and we've got flashback friday and then saturday of course we have our weekly guided visualization by the way We'd love some of your feedback on that. Should we continue with the the guided visualizations? We are doing some that you need to really pay attention to, listeners. And those are the compilation. And I believe we've got a compilation this Saturday. Do we, Adam? Do you know?
0: I don't believe so. Okay. I think we did the compilation a couple weeks ago.
1: Okay, okay. Well, the compilation one is probably one of the most important ones you need to... Do a little guided visualization, meditation too. Do you want us to keep those going? What do you think of them? Any changes we should make, any improvements? It's a very powerful tool. I know it's a bit new agey, it's a bit new agey, I get it. Um, But um, it's a powerful tool. But on Monday's episode, let's go into recession. What is a recession? What does it mean to us as real estate investors? Even though we've talked about this before, a few techniques in terms of how to deal with the recession, and we'll talk about that on Monday's episode as kind of a continuation of today's episode. That'll sort of be part two, because now you understand that a technical recession is two quarters in a row of declining GDP. That's what an economist would tell you, and you heard that today, but we'll dive into a deep look at what a recession is and how to deal with it. Sound good, Adam, for Monday?
0: Absolutely, I'm ready to talk.
1: All right, we'll do that. And tomorrow we've got a 10th episode coming up for you, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So uh, be sure you get your tickets for Profits in Paradise. Go to jasonhartmanlive.com. That is going to be a fantastic event and we will look forward to seeing you there at the end of October. Until tomorrow, happy investing.